Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Today, I'll be speaking to Cecile Renault, the founder of Seraphine, the international maternity label worn by the stars. From Kate Winslet and Kate Hudson to Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge. Launched as a single store in 2003, Cecile scaled the company and grew turnover to nearly £40 million, exporting to more than 30 countries around the world and winning two Queen's Award for Enterprise along the way. After exiting the business last year, Cecile has taken on roles as European co-chair of the Sherry Blair Foundation for Women, with a mission to empower women to start, grow and sustain successful businesses. Later, we'll be joined by Xavier Mufragi, the CEO of YPA, a global leadership community of more than 30,000 CEOs in 142 countries. YPA's members are those who have achieved significant leadership success at a young age and combined their businesses to contribute over $9 trillion in annual global revenue. YPA itself supports them by fostering peer learning and inspiration as a community driven by its values of open sharing and trust. But first to tell us a story, welcome Cecile. Hello, thank you very much for hosting me. Now, you've done something wonderful and unique that many um, entrepreneurs dream of, which is to have built a business, exited it and got to the other side. So what is life like after exit, Cecile? Is, is it the dream we all hope it's going to be? <laughs> I, I have to say, yes, it's a, it's a very nice uh, place to be and very enjoyable. What I like doing most now is helping other entrepreneurs going through that journey, you know, helping them with my kind of bits of wisdom that I've acquired over the years, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I read something really, a really fun point that you made that a bit like children, you thought 18 years was about the right time to, to let the business go. Tell us a little bit about that journey, I guess, in terms of the business person you began life as, the startup Cecile, and, and the um, that journey through to the person that exited it. So I started my business at a time where I also became a mother. I was building a maternity wear business. This was actually a perhaps convenient time, but on the other hand, a huge challenge challenge of being a new mom and building a business. I started the business back in 2002. So this was pre the internet era, pre the online. So initially building the business was about opening stores. And I had a vision to build a brand that would be worn by famous people as a way of marketing the brand. And so, you know, that's what I went about to address celebrities. But I mean, in terms of just before we get into that, what you did by starting up a business is is an exceptional thing to do. I mean, not, not, you know, not a lot of people do it or a lot of people do it and regret they ever did it. I mean, you know, the, in terms of knowing that you might want to go and do your own thing, make jobs rather than take jobs, if you will, what was the sort of spark that made you think, I'm going to do it myself? I think the spark was probably coming across a couple of iconic entrepreneurs back then in the UK, and particularly Anita Roddick. Uh, for me, was a big inspiration, and I had the opportunity to meet her at an event. And this, I kind of say that in hindsight, because mm. I didn't realize it then, but I think that she she gave me that confidence that as a woman, you can be an entrepreneur and, you know, in a different way than the usual corporate kind of approach. So, you know, having role models is always, in my view, extremely key to inspire entrepreneurs. What, what did you like about her? I mean, obviously, so, so she was a maverick, did things a different way. What, what do you remember about that meeting? I remember that she was a woman that would think outside the box, would not get no for an answer, would have an infectious kind of, you know, ability to convince people and energy and enthusiasm. And yeah, I think these are quite 
quite, you know, traits of entrepreneurs often. Mm. I mean, the thing I often find in interviews is that, of course, when when people look back over their career, you, you can see the kind of mountaintops that you jump from. You know, you start up, you get your first store, you get your first celebrity customer, you suddenly have got a national and an international business, and then you've exited it. But presumably along the way, there have been you know, times that have been difficult, like recessions, personal stories, I don't know, what what have you found were the challenges on that kind of that, that, that 18 year story? I think you have two sets of challenges, you have the reality of the economy. So in my case, for example, 2008 was a big hurdle. It was also a time where I had my second child. So everything seemed to collide and kind of being able to you know, change some of the business model in order to adapt to the new economy. Um, So remaining always flexible and never kind of just thinking this is my business plan and I need to follow it. So the agility is really important. But I also think that some of the hurdles can come from people that surround you that sometimes can be skeptic of your mission, of your ability to succeed. So this is why I always advise surround yourself with a community of other entrepreneurs Mm. so that you will be kind of well supported by people that have this energy and enthusiasm Um, otherwise you know this this can be difficult I mean and and maybe the hardest thing when you're an entrepreneur is to build the right team around you because obviously you have your own strength but also your own weaknesses so so acknowledging those bringing the right people that will have the competency but also the right spirit Mm. Uh, to support you as a founder and entrepreneur. You know, these are kind of things that don't happen in a straight line. You do a lot of failures and it's trial and error. You, you mentioned there, you know, becoming a mum. And of course, whether you're a mum or a dad, whether you're, whether you're a partner, obviously being an entrepreneur has a major effect on, on your personal life. In terms of how you found that side of it and the, what would the exited Cecile tell the startup Cecile in terms of the journey she was about to embark upon? It's always very hard, you know, uh, as people say, hindsight is a great thing. So, you know, I do uh, tell you. I hope any answers don't do it. <laughs> no, I do say to young women entrepreneurs, don't do like I did. Don't start in the same year a business and be a new mom because these are two huge learning curves mm. and they, making them collide is not giving you necessarily the, the best chance. You know, otherwise, like anything in life, there is never the perfect time. Like it's never the perfect time to get married or it's never the perfect time to have kids or it's never the perfect time to leave your job and to create a business. So, you know, you have to more realize when you start a business as an entrepreneur that this is going to be a long journey and you need it to build it in a sustainable way so that you will not like exhaust yourself. You know, a lot of people launch like rocket and after two years, they find themselves exhausted, depleted, and and they cannot go for the long run. Mm. So this is like about pacing yourself to continuously deliver, to continuously absorb setback and reset and be able to um, keep, you know, that positive focus uh, looking forward. But but I suppose it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough one to balance off, isn't it? Because, you know, you've said before, you know, there were, about the hurdles along the way that you've just got to keep on jumping. I mean, that was the phrase that really spoke to me because I think, you know, it's, it's easy to say, keep a life in balance and chill out. But actually, if you've got a payroll and if you've got all of these sorts of challenges, you, you have 
have to keep a certain amount of intensity, don't you, in terms of actually the the business rhythm and and of course the energy you have to get uh, provide for it. Oh yes, uh, definitely. And you know, it's it's easier said than done uh, in most in most cases. Uh, but you know, again, I I think surrounding yourself with people that give you that kind of moral support is very important being an entrepreneur you know especially if you're a sole founder can be mm. very lonely and this is something you know that that you don't necessarily appreciate when you get into it you're never going to have a boss that's going to give you a pat on the back obviously when you start having many investors they they kind of sometimes end up acting a little bit like bosses you know generally yes it's finding that stamina within your own self to keep that uh, motivation going did you find i mean owen or do you- you reflect on having been a, a woman in business, a female entrepreneur. I mean, you know, when you look at you know the, the, the sort of the figures on on investors in investment in in female businesses, you know, a lot of the challenges that women in business face. How did they play out for you? And I mean, what would you reflect upon that? Uh, definitely, you know, in my time, so, you know, going back uh, to 20 years ago, the landscape was there weren't so many female entrepreneurs and even less female investors. Uh, so it made it very difficult. I think what I love now is that the ecosystem has changed dramatically. And it, and really, there are so many opportunities for women now. So, you know, I'm kind and, I, and this is something I'm, I'm really proud of. And also within YPO, we try to recruit mm. a lot of uh, women into, you know, into our organization so that we support each other and and kind of, yeah, give, give each other uh, a vision that women entrepreneurship is definitely possible. Now, we'll come on to YPO in more detail in a moment. Just to sort of sort of focus on your story. I mean, your, yours was a brand that became well-liked by a lot of incredible people. Was it, was it luck, judgment, good marketing? What, what, what would you put it down to in terms of, in terms of the how that happened? Or, or was there a tinderbox moment where you just suddenly thought, wow, we've got it going here? You know, I'm a believer nothing happens by luck, but only by sheer amount of work and determination. So, you know, in in our case, we were definitely a pioneer within an industry where there weren't so many competitors. So that gave us an edge. We kind of really had a point to have a great quality product, great design. And then my background, which was previously in advertising, kind of gave me that great focus about, you know, creating a brand with recognition. Celebrities came initially because we had stores, you know, in in London, in Paris, and in New York. And, you know, this attracted like famous people relatively naturally. But over the time, we kind of decided to really grow that you know, a marketing channel of showing the celebrity profile that we had. Obviously, the big kind of turning point for Seraphine is when the Duchess of Cambridge wore a Seraphine for a very official event, which mm. was the first uh, official picture of uh, birth of Prince George. And, and that was something that was reported globally. Did you know that that, that was going to happen or did you just find out by by chance? So I, I didn't knew that the Duchess was wearing a lot our clothes, but obviously, you know, we were kind of, it wasn't something that we could claim. So, you know, I was waiting for that moment moment and and sometimes despairing it's never going to happen and then one day um, my press agents called me and said I think something big is happening look at this picture and she sent me the picture which was this first official portrait of Prince George and 
she said, I think this is your dress. And, you know, I kind of looked at that screen and, and thought, oh, my God, yes, it is. <laughs> and then we literally had a couple of hours to get prepared because that picture got released globally and literally made front page of every newspaper in the world the next day. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of these moments where you are unprepared, but in the back of it, you know, we had kind of hoped this would have happened. We had increased our server capacity so our site wouldn't crash. We had prepared many, many things, uh, which enabled us then to make uh, take this opportunity and turn it into something that would deliver a lot of growth and success for the business. And, and of course, an incredibly exciting period, I'm, I'm sure. But I always think that being an entrepreneur is is a bit like being a good guest. You always know instinctively when it's the time to go. And last year, that was that was your moment. In terms of how that chapter in your life played out, I mean, was it an emotional one? I mean, I mean you obviously exited successfully, but in terms of letting go of something that you'd given so much of yourself to, how did that play out for you on a very personal level? It's definitely a roller coaster of emotion when you exit a business. You know, you have the high with that you've achieved your kind of financial goal, your dream figure, but then you are parting with something that, you know, you, you have been working and giving your soul to, I mean, in my case, for the best of 18 years of my life, you are from one day working with people day in, day out, and all of a sudden you're not going to be like so much in touch with them. And so, you know, there is this time of adapting, which, you know, I think a lot of exited entrepreneurs do express that they have that like this kind of depression post exit of what is now their purpose how mm. are they going to you know f- find a new kind of purpose or f- going forward in their life in my well, case well, was- well obviously because you know you, you know you're you're at a, a young age like a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs are where actually they've still got you know, incredibly productive years ahead of them. And and of course, I suppose how you, I once heard it described as, as second album issues, you know, in terms of actually how do you make sure that that's not the, that's not your epitaph, but actually just part of the journey. Yeah. And I mean, in my case, I had a very clear vision that the next step in my journey is going to be helping others and helping particularly women entrepreneurs. So, mm. you know, that kind of helped me not staying much long in that kind of slightly depressive, you know, <laughs> Um, lack of energy uh, moment. And so, you know, I I found that for me, it's incredibly fulfilling to now help other women entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I suppose that's an interesting, you know, I suppose segue because you didn't choose to go back into business directly, but you chair two organizations where obviously, you know, highly successful businesses are becoming even more successful, I guess, in terms of the sorts of ability to be parts of cohorts and communities. Did you consider or have you considered that that your entrepreneurial, personal entrepreneurial journey might now have transitioned into something else? Or do you still think that there is still another business in Cecile yet? (laughs) I don't know. It's something I ask myself regularly. So, uh, you know, the, the future will tell. I think you need to have that huge appetite to start again, to be a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, at the moment, I feel like this is a time where I'm more reflecting, giving back 
rather than going for for a second business. But mm. you know, life is always full of surprise. But at the moment, I'm, I'm very fulfilled in in this role of galvanizing uh, women entrepreneur. Well, I mean, I did I did read somewhere in the research that you said you were retiring when you sold the business. But I mean, obviously, when you look at the work of the Sherry Blair Foundation and, and the YPO, there's plenty that's keeping you um, keeping you very busy. Talk, talk about why you are putting so much energy and effort into championing businesses and their business leaders. Yeah, it's, you know, because I think that entrepreneurs need more, how can I put it, more support than if you are part of a big corporation. I have really benefited myself from this network of support and in large part through YPO of just this peer-to-peer engagement and advice advices that, that we give each other. So I'm really passionate about it i think it makes a it makes a huge difference and particularly with respect to women entrepreneurs as we are fewer we need to kind of you know really uh stick to each other and back each other and kind of encourage each other so that that fuels my passion for for Mm. doing this role well well, that feels like a really good place to bring in xavier mifragi who is the um the ceo of of ypo who's going to join us for this part of the conversation xavier welcome to change makers real pleasure to meet you i suppose what i'd like you to start with is is a bit of a kind of pitch to us on, on because you know, if, you, if you don't know what YPO is what should listeners take in terms of um, in terms of the actual network and, and and its work so first thank you Michael for being here and congratulations Cecile I think YPO is a wonderful organization uh, it's 35,000 you know CEOs around the world and entrepreneur in 142 countries and and it was created uh, in 1950s and to you know you know keep on what Cecile was doing the main idea of YPO is that in when you're in the situation as a CEO in our case we represent 20 million employees around the world you lonely at the top while the stakes are very important not only for you but for society in general uh, so the global idea of every of our members is to say okay I want to be a CEO, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I really want to make sure that I create values, not only for the shareholders and myself, uh, but I can be a force of good uh, with my employees and also with the community around uh, around you. So that's why we all love that nonprofit organization. Now, listen, I'm a, as part of my research, I've been watching a wonderful video of you on speedboats with Club Med and having a wonderful time <laughs> in your in your last job. What, what took you away from the world of hotels into the world of leaders? <laughs> I think it's my my journey is first is as a member, and that's why I wanted to join as a CEO. If I give you the scene, and, and that's going to be a you know a link with what you just said before. It's two thousand nine. Um, I'm thirty one. I become a father. You know, as you can hear, uh, I'm French. My wife is British. We live in Miami. No family around, and I really decided to be a real modern progressive dad. I wanted to be mm. with, there with my kid. I decided to cut my work by one hour a day. I wanted to be there at lunch twice a day to give the bottle for my kids. And two weeks later, I become the CEO of Club Med. Uh, so 3,000 employees in North America, very proud. I say, wow, I'm going to be a dad. And at the same time, I'm going to be able to put all the leadership, positive purpose I want for my new organization. And I receive a wonderful gift, <laughs> the 2009 recession. So after two weeks, the new dad, not sleeping much, we're making more cancellations and bookings. And you can imagine the storm in my head like an entrepreneur, you know, every day. So my feeling was I was feeling alone. You know, you have difficulty to sleep and who could I talk to? 
my employees, they were they were just stressed by anything I was doing because they said, maybe we're going to close the business. Uh, my wife has something else to do and we didn't sleep much. And three times I met other CEOs and they told me, oh, you should join YPO. And I say, you know what? I already have so many networks. And they say, really, join YPO, you'll never walk alone. And that's was the start of my journey as a member. And when you become a member and you have the opportunity that you're given to say, hey, being the CEO of the organization, I take a plane, went to Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm so happy I'm able to, to help that organization to go for the I, I, next step. I'm loving you'll never walk alone as the uh, obviously the, the motto of Liverpool FC. As yeah, well. I know so we have to, not so, many fans but, from Manchester Arsenal. I'm an Arsenal fan. So. Well, I think YPO might be having a better season than, than Liverpool. But <laughs> let, let, let's go go on to that. Like you, it's been described, Cecile, as, as, as a leadership experience like no others. I mean, this is not the easiest moment in history to be a leader, is it? And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of intense scrutiny on those in positions of authority, how they do it, why they do it, what they're doing. What's your take on it at the moment in terms of the role of leaders, especially in business where so much is now expected in terms of business, whether it's its relationship with the planet, the relationship with people, the relationship with progress. How easy is it to be a leader? I see, Michael, that, that's super, you know, that's why it's so, I think, exciting to be a leader, but there's a lot of accountability and responsibility. I don't know if you follow all the Elderman study about trust and today, you know, associates, they trust more their boss than the government, NGO, and the media or union. Uh, so we have a lot of stake uh, in the responsibility that it's great to be a CEO because you feel like your ego is feeling very good. I'm very special. But at the same time, we have huge responsibilities, not only for the bottom line, but for the life of our employees. Uh, we give, you know, most of the time and also for, for society. So that's that's why we call it, it's an organization, but it's more a community of leaders mm. uh, well, from, I, I, from so many countries. Yep. I, want, I wonder, Cecile, whether you've got a take on leadership right now, because I mean, leadership is in focus, isn't it? I mean, whether it's, you know, the world of, of politics or the world of business, I mean, how, is it a good time to be a leader, to Cecile? Well, I, yeah, yeah I, I agree with Xavier. It's very exciting. I think, you know, the, the biggest challenge we face is the challenge of sustainability and, mm -hmm. you know, like reducing our impact on the environment and, you know, and this is giving so many opportunities to think in an innovative way, to rethink a lot of the old processes to start afresh. So I, I think it's it's extremely exciting, but obviously there is huge pressure associated with it. Having a group like YPO where it's kind of a bit also like a think tank of what are your best practices in your business? Mm. What have you implemented? What has worked? What has failed? What has been the resistance of your employees in the change? Because as a leader, that's, that's the hardest part is how do you overcome change resistance in your team? So, you know, definitely our network is, is supporting each other and supporting in a global level and I think that's the most amazing thing is that I can hear what kind of policies are implemented in the US in in Asia in South America through the YPO network and kind of cherry picking what works for my organization mm. I mean, I mean yeah. question, question to you both I mean the Collins dictionary word of the year is permacrisis. Now, permacrisis reflects a world that is living through just one crisis after the other, from COVID to war to energy to employment. I mean, 
these Xavier are, are, are difficult times. You've 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 written about CEO burnout as a really big big deal now. I mean, in terms of the resilience required from from our leaders, what 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 are the tips? What what's the advice you'd give? <laughs> I, I think it's very important to talk about burnout for employees, but also about CEO burnout. Uh, that's what we love in our community is that we're very open to uh, others. So we're not only working on making business with each other. We have a we have a platform doing fifty billions of you know exchange of business, but you can ask for Cecile and myself. The most important reason we were in YPO is to be able. We talk about the five percent. You will never not tell your friends or or your spouse. So what is really in your head? What's getting in your head? And how can you talk to people where? have the same experience that you have. Our own study shows that at least 80% of CEOs or somebody very close to them have a real situation of burnout or depression for the last two years. Mm. And the number one reason was not business because actually 80% of our CEOs were very positive about business, but they realized like everybody else that the lack of in-person connection, the complete turnaround and changes into business are creating a storm in their head. And in many times we say they're like Superman and Superwoman. You paid for the pressure. Mm. Uh, and, and it's interesting that at the same time, we see athletes like Osaka, uh, you know, in the US and Japan, a lot of athletes say, hey, you paid so much, you know, how can you talk about burnouts and crisis? So I think it's it's a time to realize that imagine if a CEO, so for us, 35,000 CEOs represent 20 million employees, really have a situation of depression, and they don't feel that they can talk to people who can help them, the impact for these 20 million employees is going to be dramatic. Mm. Because when you're in depression, you feel that you have pressure of fear, you don't know where to go, you take back decision. So that's why we really want to talk about it, because we know it exists, not only for our members, but at least our members are able to talk to each other in very unique forum where they can exchange those difficulties and find, yeah, exactly. and you know, you're not alone. And the fact that, you know, you're not alone, that's already 50% of the job. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, I mean, you know, cause the, the, I was mentioning that perma crisis as the, as the, as the number one word, the second word they chose was quiet quitting. So quiet mm-hmm. quitting is just people just disappearing from the workforces. I think, you know, the, the role of leaders in that sort of, you know, movement of change, I think is, is perhaps something that could be looked at. Something though, Cecile, I was, I was just digging out a quote that I remembered. Simon Sinek, the author, uh, he wrote a book called Start With Why. He wrote that working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. How does that play out for you? I 100% agree. And, and that's why entrepreneurs manage to uh, most of the time work double a sh- work shift because they are passionate about, you know, the, the purpose of their business. So for sure, you, you know, you need to motivate to draw motivation from that, that, that passion. And, and particularly now with businesses having to pivot more onto, you know, helping the planet, as we talked before, I think that that can fuel a lot of energy in, into entrepreneurs. Xavier, I should come to you, if I may. It's, the thing about that quote that got me thinking was that it also speaks to a word that, you know, we might be quite uncomfortable with, which is ambition, right? You know, in, in, mm. in, in terms of where we're at in a world which is facing downturn and difficulties, how does the positive person 
the ambitious person, the ambitious leader, actually bring more people with them in a world that doesn't have feel good at its heart? Oh wow, that's that's very strong question. Yeah. Well, uh, I I, I a, think it's a strong what, program, Xavier. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I see I see Cecil purpose and it's very interesting because my purpose is very similar and I think a lot of YPO members have similar purpose. Is that we are all about. We're ambitious, but we're ambitious to create an environment for success. I want to create an environment where people can be their authentic self, where they can be fearless, and then I'm empowered to be successful. I think there's something in common with a 35,000 member is that idea, that ambition is to know that we may not be right, 100% right. We, we, For example, we have CEOs who want their employees to sleep in their offices they're not part of the organization. Our organization, most of the, and I say everybody I met, they're all about creating an environment where people are fearless. They are challenged, but fearless. And we create an environment where they feel good. And then because they feel good and empowered, the overall organization is, is positive. And we believe, we believe in ripple effect of happiness. So if yourself, you write in your shoes, you are your authentic self, then you can share with others, you create a great environment for success. And I think that's very, very common in all the YPO members, because that's why we recruit them. Mm. Uh, we recruit each other. We're not going gross for gross. You know, it's a nonprofit organization. The whole YPO purpose is to bring together communities of leaders from around the world who have that ambition that we do business for good not only for society, but for the happiness of our employees. And I think that brings me neatly to my last question, Cecile, which I'm going to, I'm going to position to you, because I mean, one of the things you spoke about in your journey was how, you know, a lot of it was quite a lonely uh, road to travel, you know, not, not necessarily having a peer group. I'm presuming you came into YPO for a reason in terms of, you know, the things that you would hope to get out of it. But when you look at the world now, if your younger self was starting up in, in 2023, let's say, is that a better environment, a less lonely environment now, do you think, for you as, as an entrepreneur than it was, I guess, now 19 years ago? Oh, I would say totally, because first of all, you know, through the amazing um, ecosystem of social media, you can connect with other entrepreneurs much more easily. There are so many fantastic podcasts like yours, you know, to, to fuel people with kind of enthusiasm and, and, and go and regenerate or, you know, find good ideas. Um, organizations, you know, like YPO, but also for smaller businesses, you know, lots of communities of, of entrepreneurs. So I think the landscape is incomparable to what it was uh, 20 years ago and, and it, absolutely fantastic. And the, the sharing culture, like your podcast, is amazing. Well, we're certainly going to probably clip that bit, Cecile, for the uh, for the show promotion. But thank you very much for for joining me. I mean, and I think is you know from both Xavier and Cecile that a great, I suppose, exposition and case making for the fact that the glass is still very much half full. Cecile, Xavier, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you. Thank you, Changemakers is brought to you by the campaigns firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?